1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Logan Paulson's going to join us in just a minute here on Grant and Danny. He watches the film. He breaks down who plays well and who doesn't for us each and every week or so. Here on GD. always love talking to Logan. We always get smarter. He uh, educates you, coaches you up, and uh, lets you know what he saw. I'm telling you, he could call plays in the NFL, I and mean, the guy knows offense and knows what he's seeing. Uh, right now, caller number 10 at 800-636-1067. 800-636-1067, is promised, you're going to win Caps tickets. They're playing the Jets. We got a pair for you right now. Uh, The game is Friday night, December 23rd, 7 p.m. at Cap One Arena. This is courtesy of the Capitals. See the Caps live this season with your family and friends. You can purchase group tickets. Visit washcaps.com slash groups, and we're giving away two more pairs tomorrow at 4 and 5, but good luck winning those right now. Start dialing 800-636-1067. Let's get to the BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter to beat the books Download the BetQL app today. Visit BetQL.com. Logan Paulson joins us. What's up, Logie? How are you, buddy?
3: I'm good, man. How you doing?
0: We're good, pal. Always good to catch up with you. Uh, why yeah. the red zone struggles for this offense? Yeah.
3: I mean, that's so, uh, you know, we could sit down and write our dissertations on that, man. If you got time uh, to talk about it, we can get into some of the details. First off, I think... Um, Like, high level, I think Scott's doing a decent job of finding, scheming up open throws. Like, if you look back at the Atlanta game, look back at the first Giants game, even in this game, there's opportunities for them to finish these drives off and and score points. I think what it is is it's, you know, I think there's, obviously, people talk about the well-documented differences between the red zone and the field stuff, Uh, and I think there's a little bit of that going on, but not necessarily in the ways that you'd expect. These throws are open, and when you've got these open throws in, in the red zone, like you're throwing to a spot, and I see Taylor, you know, who throws with great anticipation in the field. He's trying to, um, how, to how to put this, he, he's, hold, he's he's waiting to see the throw as opposed to um, anticipating the throw and throwing to a space that's been cultivated by the route concept. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is the pass protection in the red zone, for whatever reason, has not been as good. And I think that kind of coincides with some of the struggles the team has had pass protecting in the field. I think this is a play-action drop-back, boot uh, play-action pass, boot team as opposed to a drop back passing team and I think for whatever reason Scott likes some drop back passing concepts in the red zone and I think um you know if I'm kind of doing self scout if I'm Scott I kind of say maybe we can find ways to scheme up some better protection packages in those areas also I do think they kind of get away from some of the runs that they like in the field for whatever reason and obviously you know, defensive coordinators are doing different stuff and I think you know like I said at the whole I think Scott has done a decent job of scheming stuff up but I think in that scheming uh, of of quality stuff, I think he's kind of uh, neglected some of the stuff from a uh, pass protection standpoint. I think Taylor Heineke could help him out in certain situations as well. So we talked
2: a lot at the start of the show today about Ron Rivera's comments since the game, which make it sound like Heineke's on thin ice here and we could see Wentz either by way of a slow start against San Fran or maybe if they lose, you know, starting the game against the Browns. With that backdrop, I'm just curious how Heineke played, in your opinion, when you watched the film. Was it the same? Was it better? Was it worse than a lot of his outings? Like, how does this compare to what he's been doing? And what did you think of him?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough question. I think there's a lot of things about this game that I wasn't, like, overly happy with. I felt like in the first half, you know, Scott kind of got away from what this team is and what they want to be. And I think Heineke struggled to a certain extent. And, you know, obviously that's frustrating for Scott because he wants to do... Some of these grandiose things, these complicated dropbacks, kind of show what he can do as an offensive coordinator. I understand that frustration, uh, but I also think that you got to understand who Heineke is. And I felt like when this offense was kind of geared to what Heineke has done well and what you know helps this offensive line play well, I thought he did some really nice things. Like I look at the second play of the or the the first drive of the second half, and just how effectively he was able to kind of facilitate this you know, heavy play pass, boot offense and get them down in the red zone very quickly. The second play, the second drive of that series, finding the big play to Jahan, um, I think, or the second uh, drive of the second half, uh, finding that big play to Jahan, I think is pretty spectacular. So I think he did some good things. Obviously, the turnover in the red zone is, um, you know, not what you want there. And, uh, you know, I think Ron kind of expressed how frustrated he was Uh, with that play, and I think the fans all feel the same way with regards to that. So that's not great, and I think that kind of speaks and informs some of the red zone struggles. I also think that, you know, he has some responsibility with that Terry misalignment penalty in terms of kind of rushing to the line of scrimmage. I think, you know, you got to kind of be the leader of the offense there and slow that down, but I think he does some good things. And, you know, we've talked about this before, Grant, like he misses stuff, but everybody misses stuff. And um, I think he does a good job of getting the football – ultimately where it needs to go in the context of an offense that he can execute, Um, which I felt like early on in the game, you know, wasn't necessarily geared towards that skill set.
0: If grilled chicken with no sauce were a person would be our guest, Logan Paulson here on (laughs) G and D Logan, people are sort of just, some folks are kind of have pined for Wentz for, for some time. And those that say not so fast, the point that they make, and I want to get your take on this, are, as this offensive line, I don't think they're great at pass blocking at, at, at this moment. I think, and, and their point is, that would just be a disaster. He would be sacked a ton, and you'd still deal with some of those inaccuracies and the other things that he brings to the table as a streaky thrower. But it would be the sacks that would kind of be the undoing, and all this production that we'd hope for wouldn't materialize. What are your thoughts there?
3: Yeah, I mean I think Carson is a very like physically gifted player, but obviously there were some issues early on in the season when he was playing a lot, right? Like he didn't elevate the offense the way Heineke did when he came in and that's one of the reasons they've been on this uh, you know, until recently this this winning streak, right? Um, you know, Heineke understands the offense, he understands where the ball needs to go. And I do think that Scott and this off and, and the offensive staff and Ron have really kind of started to better understand what this offensive line is capable of. And as a result, I think when they lean into this play action pass game that they've developed and that is continuing to develop, you see uh, an offensive line that's much more productive. And so in the context of those throws and those types of plays, I do think there's an opportunity for Carson Wentz to be productive because in, in, the, in those plays and those play designs and those play structures, you know, they they've been able to cultivate good pockets and you have longer developing route concepts where, a stronger arm and pushing the football down the field might be more advantageous. Now, it's a big if about, you know, whether or not he feels comfortable in those situations and can execute in those situations. But um, I understand that criticism. I do think he would perhaps be doing better in, a, in an offense where he's more of a passenger as opposed to leading the ship the way he was early in the year. Um, but it's really an unknowable thing until he starts to play. So
2: You played in the league for a decade, so I'm fascinated to see what you think about this idea of, right, the locker room kind of taking to him. I mean, John Allen was in this studio where I'm sitting now on with the junkies a few weeks back, and he said something along the lines of the team picks the quarterback or something like that. What's your thought on that as it pertains to Rivera having the ability to make a change?
3: I mean, I guess I agree with that to a certain extent. I think that's a Nick Sabanism, if I remember correctly. And, you know, I, I would defer to Nick Saban. He's coached a lot of football and coached a lot of winning football teams. But I think there is a – there's a line there, right? Obviously, if the guy's not performing well, I think he will lose the locker room. So I definitely think it's very closely tied to playing and how productive you are as a player. Um, you know, because I, I think about this all the time. Like, um, you know, Michael Vick, for example, was not an overly dynamic leader. He wasn't overly charismatic but he played really well and guys believed in him and, and he gave confidence to the offense. Right. And I've played with guys like that. You know, I think Jay Cutler is a good example. He doesn't endear himself to the locker room, but everyone likes likes him as a starting quarterback because he gave us the best chance to win. So I think that there, you know, guys are pragmatic in an NFL locker room. They understand that if, you know, this individual is, is playing well, and even if whether or not I like him, I think another good example is, you know, Robert Griffin, the third, I think um, early on in his career, a lot of guys, he had some personality quirks that guys were willing to ignore. Um, and then once things started not going well, then obviously those things kind of came to the forefront of the conversation. Same thing with Russell Wilson. So I, I think there's an element of truth to that, but I also think it's it's really closely tied to how well you're playing. And um, I think the reason the guys took Taylor Heineke is because in that moment early on when the transition was made, he was playing better than Carson. He was giving them a better chance to win. And you could say, you know, is that, does that coincide with a defense playing better? Absolutely. Does that coincide with an offensive shift? Absolutely. Could Carson have the similar production now? Perhaps. And if he had the same production, would the guys gravitate towards him in that way? Maybe. And those are the things that, um, you know, kind of make this uh, kind of these gooey, soft, you know, emotional things of football hard to kind of quantify.
2: What would you do? Your coach, Logan Paulson, <laughs> what would you do?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm, if I'm in Ron's position, I would kind of look at uh, Scott and kind of have some feedback for him about the last game. And basically say like we, you know, we weren't always putting Taylor in the best position to be successful. I would kind of reevaluate what we're doing from a red zone standpoint um, in terms of how we run the football down in that area of the field. Um, and uh, you know, kind of again like the drop back passing game, which I alluded to earlier. I would kind of try to cut some of that and shift towards more play action based stuff because again that helps with protect- protection. And they have done some of that. And I, I think uh, the reason I'm leaning that way is because Scott's kind of laid the road roadmap for my eye, right? These play-action passes are effective. They create open throws. They lead to better protections. All those things are important, and Scott's done that. So I'm saying lean more into that, and if that does happen, I think Taylor does a fine job of that. You know, I think Taylor will play better, and I think he'd be in a better situation as opposed to having this weird quarterback controversy this late in the season. Now, if Taylor's not playing well, he comes out and lays another egg or whatever it is, and obviously I'd reevaluate my decision, decision. but right now my, my focus as the head coach would go to the offensive staff Basically say, like, who are we offensively? What is our identity? And how can we better insulate Taylor in some of these situations? Uh, Because I think he does do some really nice things. Um, You know, he's not going to grade very well. He's not going to ever be the greatest quarterback in the league, top 10, top 15 type guy. But I think he's playing well enough um, to win some football games. and, And that's valuable to me as the head coach.
0: Logan, let's say all things are equal in this weird hypothetical vacuum, I'm just, I'm trying to get, and both had, you know, uh, enough prep time and assuming anything else. So there's no way to wiggle out of it. Like, well, whoever practiced more, let's say in the multiverse, like Dr. Strange opens up the multiverse. All right. Mm -hmm. And both Heineke and Wentz have equal practice time this week. Who'd be more likely to be at San Francisco this weekend? Uh,
3: That is a tough question. Um, But, you know, in that situation, you got to talk about San Francisco and what they do well. And I think the, the ultimate thing in, with regards to winning against San Francisco is running the football effectively. So, you know, obviously and having some type of play-action pass game off of that. So if you look at that, you say Wentz, um, you know, he has this cannon for an arm. He opens the field up a little bit more, maybe. But, you know, in his limited sample size of him playing, he didn't elevate the offense the same way Taylor has. So I'm always reluctant to go back to him, right? You know, we've seen a higher production in Terry. We've seen his, uh, uh, Taylor's development with Jahan improved, all these different variables. Um, And the little bit of that is because he's just got a little bit more kind of belief in those guys when he puts the ball out there. And he's got to because his arm's not as strong. He doesn't need to see the throw home. So I think if Carson had played a little bit better early in the year, not that he played badly, but I think I would probably still lean Taylor in this situation just because I think he just gives you that little extra something, that little bit of extra variance, which is good and bad. And I think um, in order to beat a team like the San Francisco 49ers, you're going to need a little bit of that good variance to win the game.
2: Do you get the sense, though, that Rivera wants to see Wentz again? Like It seems to me like all year long he's left the door open, and now in the last week he's all but said he's going to play. It's just a matter of when. Uh, Do you disagree with that?
3: No, I think that's – I would want to see what he looks like. I just invested $28 million. I know that – the only thing that the thing that differentiates this team from the Dallas Cowboys or the differentiates teams from kind of that next tier of playoff team is the quarterback position. Right. And I need to know if this guy that we gave up draft capital for that um, we invested a lot of money in is that guy. So absolutely. I want to know, but I don't want to know at the detriment of not making the playoffs because ultimately at the end of the season, they're going to have to make the same decision. Do we extend Wentz for next year? And right now the sample size that he has given is not, enough for me to make a conclusive statement about that in my opinion so if i'm ron if i'm the marty's if i'm any of those guys i want to see him i want to see him do something and i hopefully he'll be settled in you know because i think after the first philadelphia game he was very kind of you know out of sorts because of all the pressure he didn't look like himself especially from early in that jacksonville game or the second half of the detroit game right so i want to see what he looks like i want to see if we can move forward with him at the quarterback position as opposed to having to do something very dramatic Move up in the draft. Uh, move up in this this next year's draft. To try and get a quarterback, or spend another big price tag on another uh, high price free. So I want to know, and so I totally understand that from Ron.
0: Logan Paulson believes in two things: good targeting in the run game, and the three C's—cabbage, <laughs> cauliflower, and celery—with us here on Grant and Danny. So, <laughs> as we go forward here for 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 this weekend. Thinking about the San Francisco game, I don't know how many teams would be favored going out there to play San Francisco. They're playing really, really well right now. I kind of wonder about what would happen. I know we've been dancing around this sort of thing, but this isn't like the fairest shake. Like, Tua's having an unbelievable season. He looked like he'd never met a football before a couple of weeks ago (laughs) when they dismantled him. They killed New Orleans, shut him out despite a number of opportunities to score. This San Fran defense is excellent. Like, do guys care about fairness, when it comes to these sorts of things in the locker room? I don't, but it's easy for me to say I'm just pudgy here talking to my friend Logan. But do guys in the room, do they care about, well, that's not a fair shake. That's that's a really hard thing if, if it ends up that they move on from Heineke after a loss.
3: Um, You know... Uh, fairness with regards to maybe Heineken not playing after the San Francisco game? Is yeah, I,
0: I'm basically saying, like, if, this isn't a great test. This isn't, like, a fair test. Like, hey, you, you're, your yeah. job's on the
2: line. Go oh. beat the 49ers. Go and, beat a team look, that
0: nobody would beat this
2: week. doing it.
3: Yeah, so, um, no, I don't think it really matters. I think if you want to talk about fairness, you this is the game, this last game against the Giants is the game where mm. you got to play better, right? And I think, ultimately, like, he opened the door for this conversation. It just so happens, when he opens the door, the, the person waiting behind the door is a absolutely savage defense. The number one defense in the NFL is waiting for him on the other side on a cross-country trip, um, you know, on a short week of prep. So, you know, like there are a lot of things here that say it's unfair, and I empathize with that. But, you know, if, if you want to complain about fairness, then, um, you know, the New York Giants should have been a win for you, I think. And that's really hard for me to say, having been a player, having been in situations like that. You know, you got to go block DeMarcus Ware for your job, and DeMarcus Ware is a damn good football player. But ultimately, like, you got to make that play, right? So um, I look at this and I say, yeah, it's a tough deal for Heineke, um, and it's not entirely fair, but the NFL isn't always fair. And uh, especially for a guy like Heineke, who's kind of made himself, like, he doesn't have a long leash, and um, this is going to be the result of that.
2: Hey, real quick, because we ended up doing a lot more on the quarterbacks than I anticipated, but that's kind of the big story here. The defensive line has been unbelievable during this renaissance. They were really quiet on Sunday night, though. Allen had the TFL that was big. Sweat had a hit on a third down completion that was short of the sticks. Pain, I didn't really notice much. Why were they so quiet? How did the Giants keep them under wraps?
3: I think the Giants deserve a ton of credit, man. They uh, They came out with a drop-back passing game. That was not what I was expecting. I thought they'd kind of stay away from the drive-back passing game, get back to that boot stuff. But I think they've done that three weeks in a row, and people were getting wise to their their deal. So basically they said, we're going to get in the gun, do a three-step drop, and Daniel Jones is going to make us right. And Daniel Jones, by golly, he made them right consistently and got the ball out of his hands with guys in his face on clean wins and uh, on free runners by blitzers. Like, he just – he played outstanding, Daniel Jones. I mean, he deserves a ton of credit. I know he didn't make any huge plays, but – you know, Kafka, Dayball, they came in with a game plan, said we're going to run kind of a pseudo, um, you know, five-step, three-step quick game from the gun. We're not going to stress our offensive line, and we're going to trust Daniel Jones to get the ball out of his hand. And they did that. And then in the run game, they know where the strength of this team lies. They know the technique that um, they're playing, you know, this kind of penetrating three technique, penetrating shade when Payne's playing the shade. And they were like, we're going to trap, we're going to wham, we're going to make it very challenging challenging for them to be uber disruptive. And, um And they were able to do that. So uh, kudos to them. They did an excellent job. And then they sprinkled in enough misdirection in terms of uh, boots and stuff to put those guys in an excellent position to be successful. So you know, hats off to that staff. Hats off to um, Daniel Jones, really, is the guy that really stood out to me when watching the film. And uh, they just did an excellent job. And so to me, that's why the defensive line was a non-factor. And you look at kind of the history of this defensive line, that's been a pretty consistent formula to negating their success.
0: Logan, your macros are in order, my friend. Thank you, as always.
3: (laughs) Thanks, guys.
2: Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. Always good to talk. Happy holidays. There's Logan Paulson. You see why we wanted him on today, because he is a sharp dude. It is Tuesday. Stretch run of the show means we got to figure out who is getting sent home, and I already feel bad. I don't know who it's going to be, but it's someone who deserves better, who's getting immunity for next week. We're down to five on Commander's Survivor, so let's get to it. Facebook.com slash GrantAndDanny is where you could vote all day long. I want the bad news first. That way we can finish on a high note. I'm a little nervous. So tell everyone who was left, Darius, this week on Commander's Survivor. Who are the options?
0: So our lovely Terry McLaurin had immunity, so he was not eligible to be voted for this week.
2: Would the people have had the stones to vote him off? Absolutely
0: not. Not after this week.
2: I mean, it was... They shouldn't, but someone's got to go that doesn't deserve it. What happened?
0: Well, it came down to our options of Jonathan Allen, hmm. Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, and Cameron Curl. The margin was very slim on the votes, gentlemen. Eked out by just one vote. Cameron Curl, the tribe has spoken. Oh. You have been dismissed.
1: Gosh.
2: Mm. Who, who, is, who did he beat by a vote?
0: Deron Payne. One vote between Daron Payne and Cameron Curl. And how many votes were there? Uh we're looking at this is carry the four. It is a holiday week, so yeah, it's yeah. a little slower. It's a little slow. Uh we're looking at five hundred thousand votes. Wow. Yeah! yeah. Wow.
2: On the nose, exactly.
0: Yeah. Five hundred
2: thousand. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. What are the chances? A round number like that? That is awesome.
0: It's a beautiful thing to grant Danny fans. Cam
2: Curl sent home. I feel awful, but this has been really all along a we, we kind of knew what was happening. We are on a beeline for the Final Four to be Sweat, Allen, and Payne and to have Terry as the last man standing with the offense. So the folks have gotten us where we thought we would be with three games to go. Poor Cam Carr. There's no right answer. That's, I think that's yeah, the if, answer If here. you're going to take issue with the votes you of can't. our 500,000, no, you better kick someone else off.
0: Yeah, I can't. There's a, a, This is the stage where there's no right answer. There have been right answers for a dozen weeks.
2: I'd have to go back and watch much closer, but I noticed curl more than I noticed pain this week, I will say. If we're just doing it based on the one week. But oftentimes, the season and lifetime achievement and some things end up factoring into the conversation. All right. So immunity for this week. This one was pretty easy. The legend out of Northern Virginia, Jonathan Allen, you yeah. have been granted yep. immunity after this week's performance. First of all, he gave away 100 tickets, so that's going to help his cause a little bit. Maybe, it does. The maybe, Jonathan
0: maybe, Allen gave away those tickets.
2: The Jonathan Allen, that's right. And he made a big play in the backfield. We noticed him. He stood up. He had the biggest play of, you know, of the three defensive linemen, for sure. He's, I think, been immune. A lot. At least half of the weeks we've done this. If we've done now 15 weeks or something.
0: Every other week pretty much he's been immune. <laughs> yeah.
2: Whenever he was eligible. Yes. Uh, he was immune. By the way, Benjamin St. Juice just met with reporters and said he will play on Sunday night. He's doing the if there's a will, there's a way bit. He's like, I'm gonna be out there. So he is on record, even though Ron says he hasn't quite proven he can cut and everything. People were saying, well, maybe he's talking about Benjamin St. Juice. Maybe he's trying to motivate St. Juice. St. Juice today says, I will play. So there's that. So there is that. Even though he's Canadian. (laughs) Remember that guy?
0: Yes. Now, if you just tuned in, you're in your car, you're like, what is Grant talking about? what does that mean? I'll just give you a little bit of color to it. There was a dude who was like, and another thing. Benjamin St. Juice, let's face it, guys. We're like, what's what's he going to say? Where is he going with this? He's Canadian. We're like, okay, we're very aware of that. That means he's soft. He besmirched an entire country's toughness. I don't know, dude. So many I, I was hockey
2: little... players finish shifts with like teeth hanging out of their mouths. Just
0: ice fishing, eating maple syrup, and Molson. That's absolutely ludicrous. Thank you, Coach. Uh, we didn't
2: get to a bunch of things we were going to today, but the phones were hopping, I got to say. We got Caps tickets tomorrow. We will be giving away at 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock. We got to talk about the update on Yunkin-Watness Stadium in Virginia. Mm. That could be trending toward Virginia. Now, how does that... Factor into the Dan Snyder sale we will discuss tomorrow. Also, speaking of the sale, this week, bids are due. First round of bids for the commanders. So we'll have to see what that means. got to turn in your project.
0: It's due.
2: But what if he doesn't get enough money? What if someone comes in a little lower than he thought? Uh Uh-oh. That would be bad. Two o'clock tomorrow. We're back at it. Enjoy your evening. Thanks for listening to Grant and Danny. Overtime with Danny Noakes is next. Thank you
1: for coming. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.